Really quickly, I want to do this. I call these family meetings. If you're new to City Church your first time or you can listen in, uh, you're welcome to participate. For you, that City Church is your family. We are on the home stretch of the most exciting time in the history of our church. There's no doubt about it. It's exciting. Even this week, I know we have some pictures of the building if you haven't seen it lately. Um, The walls are going up. They were putting the stage in this week. Uh, Those are the chairs that we're unloading uh, in the worship area. Uh, now it's moving beyond just kind of the infrastructure stuff and the walls are going up. It, it really is uh, remarkable. And so by the end of the year and beginning of the year, we hope to be uh, in the building completely done. Uh, most of the stuff has happened on the inside. You're going to see more happening on the outside in the coming weeks and months. And so it's just an exciting time. And it's a story of, you guys know this, perseverance, faithfulness of just continuing to trust God. Uh, We have said no to so many buildings over the year because the building has never been the goal, right? The goal is change lives to reach people, uh, to to see the kingdom expand. And uh, this is just going to help us do that even more. I do want to say this. Um, We want to maximize this opportunity that God has given us to reach as many people as possible. On a very visible place, when you open something new, there's going to be a lot of new people coming through the doors. Uh, It's an exciting time. And uh, there's two ways that you can help us do that. Some of you already know we've been doing this over the last year. Uh, Number one is just continue to give and help us cross the finish line. I do want to stop and celebrate for a minute. If they put the, the, if you can put the thermometer up there. In February, uh, we had raised about $2.7 million for our building and we needed about Uh, 1.3 left to finish this. Since February, you guys have given $634,000 to the building. Can you give yourself a hand? That's a phenomenal. That's phenomenal. I actually know as of now, even just the last few weeks, because this is as of July, we've gone over the halfway mark, right? So we have about halfway left to go. And this is us stepping up to the plate. This is you praying and believing God on behalf. This is not a number that we hope to hit. This is what we need in order to, uh, to fund this. And we are just walking by faith. Uh, we have done a lot of the work. Like I say, this is us crossing the finish line. We are not in the starting blocks, thank God. We, uh, we get to cross the finish line in this. And so we are asking people to step up and to help us cross the finish line. The second thing that you can do for us is we need everybody now to serve in some capacity. This is an all-in moment for our church, right? Many of you who have continued to do that, we need you over the next year. For some of you who have kind of sat on the sideline, you've been dating us for a while, I get it. You've been checking us out. It's time to take that step, right? We have a lot of new teams. We have a lot of new opportunities. Uh, Here's the thing that we do at City Church. We don't overwork people. You're not going to be serving every week. We have larger teams that allows people to to have time off. Uh, You can serve once a month, twice a month. There are very few places where somebody serves every week unless that's just your thing. Um, But we need you. And so when you look at this card, what we're asking, and I know this is weird and different than we've ever done because this is a different moment for us, we're asking for one-year commitments. Some of you started your giving commitment in February and you're finishing it for a year. We want to say thank you. Some of you are going to start that with us uh, today to help us get there. And and, and I know the thinking is, man, what is my $50, my $500, what is my $5,000? It all matters, right? It all makes an impact. It's all significant, not just for us, but in you that you get to be a significant part of building the kingdom, that you get to practice generosity. Uh, but also, let me, let me just say this as well, a year commitment in serving. As we begin to prepare over the next three, four, five months, and then uh, being, being on that team over the next five, six, seven months as we move into the building and see an influx of people uh, coming through the doors and opportunities that we have. We do not want to miss this opportunity to reach as many people for Jesus as possible. Amen? 
And I'm just gonna tell you, new buildings in a place like this, right along I-44 is gonna give us an incredible opportunity to do that. And we have been patient and we have waited and we have not forced it. And now is the time uh, for us to take that step of faith. Uh, I, I also know we have on here, just to give you an idea of serve teams, how many people that are needed. These are the additional people that we're looking uh, to add. So it's, it's a lot of people, there's a lot of opportunities. Uh, if you sign up to serve, whether you're already serving or you sign up to join us on October 9th, uh, we have rented out the event center at the Tulsa Zoo. We're going to have a great night of vision. It's going to be fun. We're also going to tell you our next steps as we have more of a timeline uh, to move into the building. But here are just some of the areas. Some of these are brand new teams. Uh, some of them like, you know what? We've had a great setup and teardown team. We don't need you anymore, setup and teardown team. Come on now. You don't, you don't even understand how hard that team worked. But we do need a parking lot team now. We have a big parking lot with a lot of people coming in. And so these are opportunities. If you see on this card, on one side is an opportunity. This is for everybody. So if you're currently serving, there's an opportunity for you just to confirm, hey, you're still with us. If you're not serving or giving, there's an opportunity to start there. And so we hope that you take this with you, fill this out. On the back, there's a place where you can mark one or multiple teams that you are interested in joining. You can also see on here, there's a couple QR codes. One's gonna take you to the digital uh, giving uh, commitment card. There's a digital version if you don't wanna fill out the physical one. The other one is all of our serve team expectations. So some of you right now are like, well, what, what's the expectations? What does it mean? What am I gonna be doing? Great, we already answered that for you. If you go to this QR code, you're gonna see every serve team we have expectations and an overview of what they do. So you can find the best place for you, but also you know what you're signing up for, right? We're not, we're not throwing you for a loop, uh, but you know exactly what's gonna be asked from you. You can take this card, uh, it, it's perforated. You can take it, put it in the giving box when you leave if you want to. You can also fill it out online on the, on the online. We're gonna be doing this over the next several weeks. We're gonna be showing several videos behind the scenes, the stories. For many of you, uh, this needs to be a discussion with your spouse, this needs to be something that you think about, that you prepare for, that you plan, that you, uh, that's gonna take some, some budgeting. How many know you have to be intentional to be generous? Generosity doesn't just happen because you wanna be. It's because you sit down and say, we're gonna be intentional saying over the next year, we believe that this facility is going to reach so many people for Jesus, that we're gonna be able to plant so many more churches, send so many people out into our city, and so many people coming to receive resources in a needed area that I wanna give significantly to the kingdom. And let me just tell you, we need significant generosity during this season. And so we're excited about this, uh, that something that seemed like it was so far out in the future is now right around the corner, amen? It's an awesome, awesome time. Uh, if you got your Bibles, Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two, as we are kind of in the last few weeks of our series uh, in Colossians. Paul is about to specifically address this Colossian heresy head on. I don't have time to go into all the background as we've built up to this point, but there is a false teaching that is threatening the church in Colossae. And it's threatening to kind of take them out or disqualify them from the prize. And Paul is about to finally in chapter two specifically address this head on. And he's going to look at the church and he's saying this teaching it's empty. It's hollow. I don't know if anybody in the room, does, does anybody in the room, you're, you don't have to say it out loud, but you have a guilty pleasure show, any show that you, that you watch that you don't want anybody. Some of you men in the room, you've, you're on the fourth season of Bachelor, aren't you? Right? You know you love it. You're on the 120th season of Survivor or some dating show that I think is the 
like the bottom of society. When, when they come on, I literally look at my wife and I was like, who watches that? And she's like, a lot of people. <laughs> Sometimes I like watching it, you know, or something like that, you know. Everybody has that show. I, I get sucked in uh, to like the treasure shows, uh, like Storage Wars or American Pickers, like they're, they're looking for the thing. Or these shows that are like, we're gonna go to South America to look at some ancient treasure that's 2,000 years old. And you know they don't find it. Like you know it when you start, but you're like, mm. Maybe they do, right? <laughs> I've always kind of been a buried treasure guy. Like even as the kid, I had the metal detector and I'm like, it's not just a can. This time it's a thousand dollars, you know, <laughs> underneath all this. I've, I've always been sucked into that. If you ever watch any of these story shows, you know like the pinnacle is when you find an unopened safe. Anybody ever watch that? And then they immediately cut to commercial. And you already know there's nothing in the safe, but you're like, no, nah, I'm gonna wait five minutes just to make sure, right? That's me, and I get, I get sucked into those, and like they, they, they open it up, or there's a, tre a treasure chest that they find, and they open up, and there's never anything inside of it. That's the exact picture that Paul is about to paint for the church. He's like, this, this teaching, it looks so nice on the outside. It fits your perspective. It's popular. There's cultural values. It, it's so ornate, but you open it up, and guess what? There's no life-transforming power in it. It's man-made, it's empty, it's hollow. It's a powerful picture that Paul is about to give to us. Remember, and this is going back a few weeks, this heresy is never explicitly outlined in the book of Colossians, why? Because we're reading someone else's mail. There's already been communication. Both sides already know what it is, so we never get it outlined. The only way we can use good theology is to figure out what they're talking about is to work back from Paul's argument and Paul's letter. Epaphras started the church. Paul has never actually been to this church, but he's their pastor. He's a spiritual father. If you remember, we talked a few weeks ago, the Colossian heresy seemed to blend modern day mysticism, local Judaism, Jewish uh, understanding, and Christianity. It was this blending together of multiple things. I want to pick this up real quick in chapter two, verse one. Paul, as pastor, as spiritual father, says this. I want you to now know how hard I, Paul, I'm contending for you and for, my, and for those at Laodicea. I want to stop for a minute. Isn't it awesome to have somebody who is contending for you? How many know we need people contending for you? You may not know this, and I'm not saying this to build myself up. I contend for you. Our staff contends for you in prayer. The reason we talk about this and the reason we do books of the Bible and difficult subjects like Love Lies is to contend for you. To contend for your heart and, the, and your soul to contend for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding fine arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. So then, just as you received Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul contending for the church. He said, I may not be there physically. Some of you have not met me personally, but I'm with you in heart and spirit, and I'm gonna contend for you to hold on and not let go of the rope, because I love you. 
He says some of you are being deceived by fine-sounding arguments. Some of you think that there's this fullness to be found somewhere else. But let me tell you, the fullness of riches is only found in Jesus and nowhere else, which is going to become a theme. Let's move on to verse 8, and I want to look at verse 8 a little more closely for a second. Paul says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Remember, we're trying to recreate what this heresy is from what Paul is discussing. He, apparently, they're, they're taking Jesus. They're taking human traditions of Judaism and some of these legalistic rituals, and they're taking the elemental, elemental spiritual forces, some folklore, some mysticism, and they're kind of blending them all together. And something we talk about often here at City Church is once you add something to Jesus, you no longer have Jesus, right? It's no longer the full gospel. When I add anything to Jesus, now I need something else and Christ isn't fully sufficient and so it's no longer the gospel. That's when you move into heresies and to false uh, gospels. Paul goes on and he says, this is hollow. It's empty. And they're taking many of you captive. They've deceived you. We live in a time of deception. I've been talking about this a lot. A time of deception is when people are biblically illiterate. They call themselves Christians, but they don't know the story of God. They've unhitched from the story of God. And so any fine-sounding fine arguments that come their way, they attach themselves to because they don't really know the gospel. If you don't know what the gospel is, you definitely don't know what it's not, right? We can't contend for something that we don't know. And so there are people that have been just, man, discipled by politics, discipled by the culture that are, that are taking things, they're being deceived into things because we're not rooted in the word of God. We're not rooted in the community of faith. There's nobody contending that we allow to speak truth into our lives and we just pick up whatever we hear. It's the same here. Paul's like, you're being deceived because it sounds good to your ears, but it's actually void of the gospel. Captive, it's weird because there are times when you're reading this text in the original Greek and I'm not telling everybody in the room you should be a Greek scholar. I made it through three semesters of Greek and barely, right? I've just never been good at languages. But when you read this, in the original Greek, it's amazing because Paul is, is it's, it's a pun, it's a play on words. The word captive in the Greek is almost the exact same word as synagogue. So he's saying you're, you're being taken captive by these Jewish rules. Why would you want to go back to slavery when you've been set free? Just FYI, this is the whole book of Galatians is about this very topic too. Why would you choose slavery when you've experienced freedom? Literally, it says, make sure that nobody snatches you as prey to lock you up with rules and legalism even though it may sound good to you, even though it may fit your way of thinking, even though it's culturally popular, it's empty. It would be like buying this brand new house and everything's been repainted, everything looks amazing in the inside. You ever gone to inspections and they're like, oh brother, you got some issues. The last house we sold, we were like, we had redone everything, everything looked great. And the guy was like, man, you've got some termites that are eating away right under your bathroom. And I'm like, no, right? I think that's what this is. It looks great on the outside, and yet you, you go on the inside and it's falling apart. That's what Paul says. Are you going to be deceived because something sounds good or looks good, but it's actually void? It's the treasure chest that you open and it's empty. It's, it's, it's the safe that you get so excited about only to find there's nothing inside. He says it's empty, it's deceptive, it's captive. He calls it a philosophy. The pursuit of wisdom or philosophy is not a bad thing. It's not something that Paul rejects. We see Paul actually leaning into this in Acts chapter 17. What Paul rejects are philosophies that are deceitful. 
Paul rejects philosophies that are preoccupied with power, with captivity. What Paul rejects, and please don't miss this, this is really powerful. Paul rejects things that are, that are presented as God-ordained or divine constructs, but are actually human constructs. People who say that's God, but they came up with that. That's what Paul's rejecting. He said, that's why this philosophy is empty because they're claiming that it's from God. They claim that they received this revelation. I grew up in the Pentecostal church. I am used to people getting words from God. I knew really quickly, I was probably eight or nine years old. I could be like, "Mm -mm, that ain't a word from God. Sister so-and-so, that's flesh right there, woman. You know, you grow up in the Pentecostal, everybody's got a word all the time, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you need a word and sometimes their words were right on. Sometimes someone would come up to me and they'd be like, Matt Nelson, here's my word of God for you. I'm like, mm-mm, I reject every bit of that. And there are times like, man, that's, that's God, right? Does it align with the word of God? Is it consistent with the heart of God? Does it look, act, and taste like Jesus? Because guess what? If it doesn't, it just may not be, right? Don't pass across, try to pass your, your human constructs as divine constructs. See, the Colossian heresies seem to be characterized by exclusion and disqualification. While the gospel of Jesus Christ always redeems, restores, and breaks down barriers. This is how Paul knew it wasn't of Jesus. Like, you have to be rooted in the story of God to know what doesn't look like Jesus, right? You, you have to be. And there are times that, like, again, I, I, I pick on politics around here because we are being discipled by politics. We're a culture where politics informs us. As a church, we don't sit on the right or left. We sit in a prophetic place above the right or left in order to speak truth into both sides, right? You can be a right or left. You can vote certain ways, but you're primarily a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So regardless of if I agree with the president, every president that comes into power, if I have to defy you according to biblical values, I will. If I'm going to pray for you always in ways that I can build bridges and, and, and agree with you, I will. But my identity is not politics, right? That's not, that's not who I am. It's not primarily what I do. But when we've been discipled by certain things like that, we, we just tend to think that way. And Paul is, is, is bringing the, the Colossians, this church, back to this understanding of what actually looks like Jesus. He knows that this is, these are systems and these are teachings that are trying to get you to exclude certain people. How many of the gospel is not bad news that did, some people don't make it? The gospel is good news. That's literally the, the word, right? It's good news that God is going to the broken and those that don't fit and saying, guess what? The kingdom is yours the marginalized, the oppressed, the hurting. I say this all the time. I'm going to say it again. If your gospel is more concerned with who it is keeping out than who it is inviting in, it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. If your gospel is building walls, it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. If, if, if we are, and this is, this is what happens in our pride, and when people get addicted to power, we build walls. That's what we do. That, that's, that's my issue with politics a lot of times is because it's you versus us versus you. It's them versus we build walls because we, we want what we want. So some people will say this. We, you can come to Jesus. You can come to, the, to come to the church as long as you vote. Fill in the blank. It's not the gospel. You can come to church. You can come to Jesus as long as you conform to our standards, our way of dressing, our way of acting, our way of talking. How many know that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ? You can come to church, you can come to Jesus as long as you fit all of our theological categories, as long as you check all the boxes, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
come to church, come to Jesus, as long as you celebrate what I celebrate. If your version of the gospel is building walls or systems of exclusion, it's not the gospel. If your version of the gospel is putting heavy weights or burdens on other people, they literally walk away from church or, or from this context and they feel weighed down, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, is it? If your version of the gospel is built on systems of shame or guilt or rules, not the gospel. If your version of the gospel is, adds anything to the work of Jesus for salvation, it isn't the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul will go on in verse eight and he would say, these things are built by human traditions. They weren't ordained by God. There are things that we try to pass, uh, pass off as gods that we built. Aren't, aren't you with me? Like if you grew up in church, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There, there are people that walk into the church and they are hungry to experience unconditional love, the life transforming power of the gospel, and they are met with the traditions of man. How sad is that? They, they came hungry and thirsty for life, for meaning, for fulfillment, only to find a church that got sidetracked in the non-essentials. Got sidetracked and became a, a, a church with about certain issues. I, I get to work with churches all over the country. I, I love doing this. I work alongside of an organization called Church Multiplication Network. Some of you know this. I get to travel. I get to work with the church planning side of things, which I love. There's a whole other side of this organization that works with like revitalization, like churches that are dying, that are trying to be revived. I don't have that grace. I just want to go ahead and kill them, and then we start new. <laughs> That's why they don't let me in the room. I'm like, you need to die. Let's just go ahead and put you over the edge, right? <laughs> that sounds really harsh. I love the church planning side. That's just not my grace. It's not my ministry area. But every once in a while, I'll get pulled into the rooms and, 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 I, and I see pastors or churches that they're like, you know what? To reach and become relevant, to reach people, especially young people, because they don't have young people in their church, they're like, if we just got a new sign, right? <laughs> I'm like, really? Like, you think a new sign? Like if we just got rid of the pews and we put in these really cool chairs with like the seat back things in front of them where like the cards can go in them, like that would really set us apart. And I'm like, I, that, that's not it, you know? And they think that like there are one, two steps away. Like if we just do things that are cool sermon series and what's your sermon? Oh, love lies, I'm gonna do that. You know, like, no, that's not what it's about, right? And as I dive into this sometimes, I don't say this arrogantly, I, I say this with a lot of humility, what I realize is that there are certain people and leaders and families within the church that have made it all about them. They've made it about the traditions of men. Like the gospel has been lost along the way, right? And now it's like, you need to look like us and act like us and you need to have this figured out and you need to be theologically in this place before you're loved and accepted by the, from, by the body of Christ. Like they've lost the power of the gospel. And let me tell you, this is really hard to do to be gospel centered because I, I say this all the time. It's so easy to go left to right, not politically, but the right I would always say is into like legalism and the traditions of men and left is secularism and just the things of this world. It's so easy to lose your, your, your centeredness in the gospel. And I want to look at him and I'm saying, this is not a sign issue. This isn't about chairs. This is about returning to the heart of the gospel and God's heart for people and the hurting and the lost, right? And the marginalized and people who walk in your doors and they don't feel welcomed because they feel like they need to be something before they're welcomed. That's not the gospel. No, you've made it about you. Let me say this. How can a church 
keep from sliding into man-made traditions because we are no different. And if we are not careful, we will do the same thing. Number one is this, we regularly reflect on the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I say regularly, how many do we come to the table every week? You know one of the reasons years ago I decided to come to the table every week? I grew up in the assembly of God, right? As a good Pentecostal kid. We took communion maybe twice a year. And it was really cool because we had these big goldly ornamented things. And they'd pass them down. It was awesome. You could take. We do it every week. I didn't grow up in that. Why? Because I, I love the ritual and the liturgy of every week when we gather, we are confronted with Jesus. How many know my message does not change your life? The gospel of Jesus Christ changes you. I don't want one person to ever leave City Church not confronted with Jesus. And sometimes we talk about topical things. And so we said, you know what? By doing this, we know, right, that every week people are going to be confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you and I get to reset ourselves around Jesus every single time we meet because Jesus is what changes lives, not a good message, not a pastor, not because the worship was just on point this morning, right? It's because of Jesus. Every sermon that we preach here ends with Jesus. It ends with the gospel. It never gets old. We continually peer into the depths of the gospel, which is a never-ending well that never runs dry. Number two is this. We refuse to get distracted from the gospel by secondary issues. This is really hard right now because how many know there are a lot of secondary issues? I have never made so many statements from a pastoral perspective about so many different social issues than I have over the past two years. But this is our commitment not to become issue-driven or politically-driven or even social justice-driven at the expense of the gospel. Are you with me? We don't move those things that are important. And I'm not denying that. We don't move those to the center. The gospel remains the center and everything is an expression of the gospel and what Jesus is doing in us and through us. Number three is this. We maintain healthy checks and balances within church leadership. That means nobody in this body of Christ can stand up here and say whatever they want to say and there's no checks and balances, right? Including your pastor. Like I have overseers, men and women outside of our church organization that are in ministry that help oversee this. If I were to say something theologically that got weird, they would confront me according to our constitution and bylaws. Thank God, amen? I put that in place. (laughs) We have a group of trustees men and women inside of our church that help make large decisions. They oversee our finances. We don't name our new building after anybody. If I was going to name it after anybody, it would be after Brian Beam, Ricky Broton, and Dorinda Alexander. Come on now. I don't even know if you're in the room. You don't know how incredibly hard those three individuals have worked for us to get us where we need to be right now. So grateful for you. We have elders, men and women inside of our church that pray, that serve, that, that is like an advisory board for me, oversight. Because how many know you don't put your ultimate trust and hope in me? Amen? You put it in Jesus. That helps us to stay rooted. The body of Christ checks and balances. Number four is this. We continually contend for the gospel against false gospels that exist. Like you have to be aware of the false gospels that exist around you. What are the ways the enemy would try to deceive you? Secularism, syncretism, a blending of religions. Christian nationalism is a big one right now. Come on now, if you don't know what that is, you need to look it up. You know what it is. I rail on it all the time. <laughs> Subtle little influences that seem to be no big deal, but they actually cut out the legs of the gospel where we're adding to the gospel. Oh yeah, take Jesus, but also do these things. 
You have to contend for the gospel if you're going to remain faithful. Verse 9, for in Christ all the, I want you to say this word with me, all the fullness. Thank you for you paying attention. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to, say it with me again, fullness. fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. When you see repetition in scripture, you look, it means something. Why is Paul saying fullness over and over again, not just here, but other places of Colossians? Because these false teachers are claiming fullness. You don't have fullness just with Jesus alone. You need some other things in order to experience fullness. And Paul's saying, the riches, the mystery of the world is Christ and Christ alone. The mystery that everybody is searching for meaning in life is only found in Jesus. If you were here two weeks ago when we talked about this, I read the hymn or the poem from, and I had the sponge up here, and we, we think sometimes that the world is just slightly saturated with Jesus, right? No, your world is completely saturated with Christ. It is dripping with Jesus. Here's what Paul's saying. How do you add to that? How do you add to that? Christ is the redeemer of the universe, the cosmos. How, how do you add to that person? You don't. You, you worship that person. You stand in awe of that person. Like you literally step back and you're like, Jesus, you are everything. And anything else that I try to put on the throne of my life is an idol that I will, I will tear down. Christ is the only thing that will satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. I want you to think about that. Nothing else will satisfy. What, what are we trying to satisfy ourselves with? Do things come to mind? Things come to mind for me. What else are you trying to fill your life with? There is nothing that is not under the authority of Jesus. I want to read this last section to you. Verse 11, Paul's going to get into some of the details here. He says, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. I want to stop for a minute. Circumcision is a big thing in the Bible because it showed that you were, that's how you were made right in Judaism, right? You're in, you were covenant people through circumcision. Paul is saying now that, that, that act done in the flesh no longer matters because of what Christ has done in your heart. Don't go back into rules and regulations when you've been set free, right? Don't go back by trying to, try to win Christ's approval through your performance when now through the gospel you've been made right because of Christ's work. This is powerful stuff. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Paul's going to get into the details here. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. 
Such a person also goes into great detail about what, what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, Jesus, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Verse 20, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have nothing to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Paul says they're empty. They're powerless. Yeah, they may look good, it's, it's the treasure chest. It's, it, it's the safe that you get and you're so excited about it because look what it looks like on the inside and you open it up and there's nothing there to actually lead you to a transformed life. There's nothing inside of it to sustain your joy. I mean, just in that moment, you pursued it because it sounded good. Empty. Jesus is the only thing that will satisfy us. He says, don't let anyone exclude or disqualify you. What, what has the power to exclude or disqualify us from the prize? I, I grew up with a bunch of Baptist friends. Most of my friends today are Baptists. I don't know how I get in these rooms. We used to argue all the time, like in junior high and high school. This is weird for kids who are in high school to argue about like security of the believer. Once saved, always saved. Like all my Baptist friends were like, nope, once you say it one time, that's it. You're saved forever. I'm like, even if you go and shoot everybody, like you're still getting in? And they're like, absolutely. Once saved, always saved. And I was the guy that was like, as a good Pentecostal kid, I would go to the altar every Sunday. <laughs> right? Because if Christ came back between my sin and the altar, I don't know what's going to happen to me. Both of them are way off, just as you know. But at the time, I didn't know that. Here's what Paul's saying. Don't be disqualified. Well, what will disqualify us? Hear me. Here's what he's saying. If you put your salvation and hope and trust in anything other than Jesus, you are now removing the source of your forgiveness and salvation. Do you, are you with me? If you, res, if, if you remove the source and now you put your hope in something else, how, do you, how are you redeemed? How are you saved? And Paul's saying, don't, don't be disqualified because you take a Jesus and theology. That's the only thing that can disqualify you. The grace of God is sufficient that guess what? Even in your sin, God will redeem and restore you. Thank God that we don't have to come up every week living out of fear that we may miss it. We also don't live our lives however we choose, thinking, well, I can just live my own life and it doesn't matter. No, don't let it disqualify you. Paul attacks this new philosophy by retelling the story of God. He says, you've been set free through Christ. Why go back to slavery? Christ is the cosmic redeemer of the universe. How do you add to that? You don't. He tells the story of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and promised return. And then he reminds them and he says, oh, and just a reminder, you've been baptized. You know what your baptism is? It's a big funeral where you die. Don't forget that. If you went under the water, you are leaving your way of life. When you come up out of the water, you are accepting the ways of Jesus, the parts that you agree with and the parts that you don't because he's Lord and you're not. You are giving your life 
This last thing, Paul retells the story of God because this philosophy, like, I, like all idolatrous worldviews, would take the church captive only through a process of amnesia. The only way you're going to lose your way, be disqualified, is if you forget who God is and who you are. So church in Colossae, hold on. It may get bumpy. It may get rough. You may not be the most popular person in the room. It may go against some things that you think or that you want. Hold on. Don't be disqualified by taking something other than Jesus. Two things I want to leave us with this morning. Number one, we must continually contend for the gospel in our lives and in our church. We have a tendency to drift and walk away and, 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 and astray from the gospel. I am with you. And every week we come back to center. No, I am not what has been said about me, what I've done, my past. I'm a son of God. I've been saved and rescued through the work of Jesus. Not anything that I have done, but what he has done for me. Amen? And I rest in that. Number two, we must continually remember the fullness of life can only be found in Christ. My heart is an idol factory, so is yours. That's because of sin. And so what do we do as a church? The difficult task of repentance, corporate repentance. When we come to the table here in just a few minutes, a time of repentance to examine our hearts. Christ, is there anything in me that is not of you? I want you right where you're at, just close your eyes. It's a moment just with you and the Holy Spirit for the Holy Spirit to search your heart. This is not fun. This is not easy. But how many know it's necessary? It's one of the ways we contend for the gospel to examine our own lives. God, is there anything in me that is not of you? God, if I searched for life and meaning in something outside of you, I repent. God, have I been searching in other wells that only left me dry and thirsty? I'm sorry. Have I taken up other things other than you? Have I added to you? When all of life can only be found in you, I'm sorry. As your children, we just come to your table this morning. We ask for your forgiveness, which has already been extended to us through the work of Jesus. We realign our hearts back to you. God, where we have been culturally conditioned, God, we repent. Where we have rejected the hard things of the gospel, we repent. God, where we have made our own pride and power, Lord, and the highest priorities, we repent. God, we take you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to search our hearts. Thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. God, help us to contend for the gospel in a world of false gospels, in a world of idols. 
in a world that tells you you just need a little bit more. You need this or that, Father. You are the mystery of everything. You are the only thing that satisfies. If you would, stand with me across this room and go ahead and grab your communion elements. We do practice open communion here at City Church. That means if you are hungry to receive Jesus this morning, you can take with us. In just a minute, we're gonna take of the wafer, which represents the body of Christ, which is bruised and broken for you. And we're gonna take the juice, which is representative of the blood of Christ that was shed for you. This never gets old. It never just becomes ritual. This is our identity. This is the reason we gather. This is transforming in us. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He passed around and he says, my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. And Jesus took the cup. My blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins for you. Let's drink together. As always, would you just thank God right now out of gratitude and thankfulness. Let's practice that. Even if you don't always feel it, would you just practice it? God, thank you for the gift of the gospel of Jesus. God, thank you for forgiveness, for life. Help us to contend for the gospel and to be found faithful, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite the prayer team to come forward. If you need prayer for anything as you leave today, before you exit, make sure you find somebody. Maybe you're carrying something today for you or for someone else. We want to pray and agree, believe God with you. We believe in the power of prayer. Just a couple quick reminders. If you're first-time guests, I'd love to meet you in the welcome room. Just 30 seconds of your time. If you've never been to dinner with a staff, we would love to get to know you. It's the first step of making church family. And we want to get to know you. You can sign up on cc.guide. And last but not least, and I'm just going to ask if, if City Church is the place God called you, would you take this and pray about it? And just ask God, what does obedience look like as we take this step of faith together? And you can turn that in today, online, or in the next few weeks. Thank you for going on this journey with us. It's an exciting time. Let's end with our mission statement. Go live it out this week, wherever you are. Be the gospel. Be the gospel.